0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast that takes a look at popular songs of the past and dives into their history, their meaning, or any other things that might be of interest surrounding those songs. My name is Claude Call, and that's your problem now. Look, if you want to get in touch with me, probably the best way is to find me on Twitter, at Pod. Or you can leave a comment on the website, howgooditis.com, where you can find some additional trivia, follow-ups, and other stuff that I found interesting. And don't forget to check out and follow the show's Facebook page, because that's where the cool kids hang out. (laughs) It's over at facebook.com slash pod. By 1975, David Bowie was pretty well known for his songs Space Oddity, Starman, Gene Genie, and Rebel Rebel. Up until that point, however, Bowie hadn't scored a number one record in the United States yet, but this was going to be his year. In 1974, David Bowie was staying in New York City, and as it happened, he was invited to a party being thrown by Elizabeth Taylor. One of the other guests at the party was a man you might have heard a little bit about, a guy named John Lennon. As an icebreaker, Bowie told Lennon that he'd had everything he'd ever made, except the Beatles. In an interview with Performing Songwriter magazine back in 2003, Bowie said that he and Lennon frequently talked about the effect that being famous had on their lives. Bowie said, we've been talking about management and it kind of came out of that. He was telling me, you're being shafted by your present manager. That was basically the line. And John was the guy who opened me up to the idea that all management is crap. there's no such thing as good management in rock and roll, and you should try to do it without it. It was at John's instigation that I really did without managers and started getting people in to do specific jobs for me, rather than signing myself away to one guy forever and have him take a piece of everything that I earn, usually quite a large piece, and have him really not do very much. So while the sessions for Young Americans were mostly done. Bowie started the process of getting out of his contract with his manager, Tony DeFries, who ran a management company called Main Man. That's all one word. The way the contract was structured, DeFries made much more money on the artist than the artist did. And because of his conversations with John Lennon, Bowie decided that he'd had enough of that arrangement. So he delayed completing Young Americans until that got settled. However, he never stopped completely and he invited John Lennon into the studio to help with a cover of the Beatles song Across the Universe. Lennon wasn't especially happy with the way that song had come out, so he was only too glad to have another crack at it. (laughs) In between takes on this recording, the musicians would engage in little jam sessions, as musicians are prone to do, and guitarist Carlos Alomar started playing a funky guitar lick. The guitar riff came from Bowie's version of this 1961 song called Foot Stompin' by a band called The Flares. Bowie used to cover this song a lot during his live performances, which is why Alomar had a riff handy. And while they were fooling around, Bowie, who was clearly inspired by his conversations with Lennon, started making up lyrics, rhyming fame with pain and flame and adding cynical stuff like what you like is in the limo and put you there where things are hollow. Lennon added some guitar to the session and it was on. Now, while Across the Universe was recorded and fame originally conceived at Electric Ladyland Studios in New York City, Bowie chose the Sigma Sound Studios in Philadelphia to record fame because he wanted to ensure that the song had a funky rhythm and blues sound to it. Bowie described the sound of the song as plastic soul and while recording it, they performed a few technical tricks on it. While Alomar came up with the original riff, it was Bowie who played it on the record and they put a lot of reverb on it. Alamore later described it as being like going to a big recreation center and the room is empty and then taking your amplifier and your guitar and filling up the room with it. They also took part of John Lennon's rhythm guitar and reversed it for the opening of the song. In addition to the rhythm guitar, Lennon provided two other key elements of the song. First, he sang backup throughout the record, providing that second falsetto fame each time Bowie sang fame. It's pretty hard to tell because of the falsetto, but in a couple of cases, you do realize that it's John Lennon singing. But the other thing that Lennon did with the record was give it a little bit of a Beatlesque esque touch. He took Bowie's voice, singing the word fame over and over again, and with the help of some tape looping, manipulated it so that Bowie sang the word fame 23 times over a span of four octaves. Fame became Bowie's first hit to go all the way to number one on the Billboard chart. and In fact, it was his first hit to crack the top ten in the United States. It's also the first Bowie song to do better in the U.S. than it did in the U.K., where it only went to number 17. Bowie performed this song on American TV a couple of times, which would also represent some of his first few TV appearances. One was on the Cher show, and the other was on Soul Train, which makes him only the second Caucasian performer on that program. Elton John beat him by a couple of months with Philadelphia Freedom. The story is that Bowie was so nervous about being on Soul Train, he got a little drunk before his lip-sync performance to help him calm down. I'll put the clip up on the website, and you can judge for yourself just how impaired he was. In both cases, though, the song was already on its way down the charts, so I'm not really sure what the value of those appearances was. But the groove did catch the attention of James Brown, who lifted it wholesale for his song later that year called Hot. I Need to Be Loved, Loved, Loved. Some people think it's an early example of sampling, but if you listen closely, you'll see it's just a little bit different. The song has been covered about 20 times, and Bowie himself did a techno remix in 1990 for the Pretty Woman soundtrack, titled Fame 90. You can find it on the soundtrack album for Pretty Woman, or on the reissue edition of Changes Bowie. Say what you will, but I like the extra emphasis on the drumming and those little horn stings that you uh, didn't have previously. But all in all, it looks like David Bowie was able to take his anger at Main Man Records and turn it into something positive. And there's a lesson we can all walk away with. And that's it for this edition of How Good It Is. Hey, if you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at howgooditispod. You can also check out and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. And finally, you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where I throw in a few extra bits for you. Next time around, we're going to discover how good it is to be a coaster. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you then.